Hello there, I'm Tyler Griffin, and this is Scripture Study Insights by Scripture Central. Today, 1 Nephi chapters 6 through 10. I hope that as we, we now are a couple of weeks into this new year of studying the Book of Mormon, my sincere hope is that this year will be your best year ever of studying this incredible book that you will increasingly find answers to your questions. You'll increasingly find better questions to ask and then to seek those answers as well as to feel more connected with the Lord through your personal and family and uh, ward or branch scripture study together. I wanted to begin today. This is a powerful set of verses or set of chapters rather. I want to begin with a quote from President Russell M. Nelson. It's a famous saying that that you've probably heard many times before, but it's extremely applicable to what we're going to talk about today. He said, The joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. So the thing I want to, to zero in on today in our scripture study is to find ways to better focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just to see him as a being that exists up in heaven or that existed in antiquity, but to be able to focus on him in a way that we can see and recognize and sense his characteristic traits, his attributes, his perfected capacities that we're all striving to become more like. So as we dive into our scriptures, let's begin in chapter 6. In verse 4, what you'll see is Nephi gives us a reason for why he's going to this great effort to record his words on metal plates. Verse 4, for the fullness of mine intent is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and be saved. There's no question where Nephi's focus is. He's focused on Jehovah or for us, the Christ. And then in verse 5 he says, wherefore the things which are pleasing unto the world I do not write, but the things which are pleasing unto God and unto those who are not of the world. I love that because here's Nephi saying his focus, the fullness of his intent, is to point us to Christ, to God, so that we can come unto him to be saved. And then he says, I'm not going to give you the things of the world. He's not focused horizontally trying to get the the accolades or the the praise of the world. He's focused 100% on what does God want, which now brings us to chapter 7, another example of looking at focal points. What are people looking at? What are they desiring? What, what drives then their behaviors and their actions and their beliefs? They're sent back to Jerusalem again, the boys, this time to speak with Ishmael and his family to come and join them. Look at verse 4. 
it came to pass that we went up unto the house of Ishmael, and we did gain favor in the sight of Ishmael, insomuch that we did speak unto him the words of the Lord. You'll notice they're focusing on what does Christ want? What, what, is, what is the Lord's desire for Ishmael's family? Not giving them all of the worldly reasons why it's a good idea for them to walk away from their house and their any precious things that they have and come out on this journey out in the wilderness. They're not focused on any of that. They're focused on the Lord. And the result, verse 5, it came to pass that the Lord did soften the heart of Ishmael and also his household, insomuch that they took their journey with us down into the wilderness to the tent of our father. So it's the Lord who does the softening of the heart. Along the way, you get the brothers in verse 7, it came to pass that they rebelled and they were desirous to return unto the land of Jerusalem. So at this point, Laman and Lemuel and some of the family of Ishmael, they're not focused on what does God want for my life, they're focused on what do I want, what will feel the best for me, what is the most convenient for me, and that is the full focal point for them. It's not on the Lord, consequently they want to go back to Jerusalem. So the rest of chapter 7 is Nephi talking with them, reminding them of what God has done and what they ought to be focusing on. And by the time you get to the end, they're giving thanks to the Lord their God and offering sacrifices and burnt offerings unto him. So they're repenting. Which now brings us to chapter 8, that great vision that comes in the dream of Lehi. So there are a million ways that you can study this dream and, and because it's so symbolically layered, you can find great meaning approaching this chapter from a variety of angles and they're all going to benefit you to one degree or another. The one thing I wanted to mention as you prepare to study or if, you've, if you ponder this chapter further is to look at each object in this dream of Lehi and analyze what does it teach you about who Christ is because every good object in this dream, if you let it, can become a lens through which you can better focus on and recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. And so not just recognize his existence again, but better recognize what kind of a being he is and how he, how he acts and we want to become more like him. So it gives us a better target to aim for as his disciples moving forward to be able to implement more of those Christ-like attributes and attitudes and behaviors into our own life so that they can become increasingly more a part of our own character as we become more fully converted unto him through the process of time. So realize that in the, in the dream, it's not just great symbolic uh, objects there are also some detracting symbolic objects, things that would seek to pull your focus away from Jesus Christ, things that would try to thwart your progress towards becoming more like God. And so you get this beautiful contrast on the page. And if you're teaching either in the home or in church, it would be 
interesting to have your children or your students to be able to identify whether an object is good and points you to Christ or whether it's a, a negative object that would be a type or a shadow even of what the devil is trying to do to us. And some of these objects that might be in the middle, that it depends on how people interact with them, whether or not they're a Christ-like object for you or a detracting object for you because some things aren't inherently good or evil. It depends entirely on how you respond to them. So let's begin in verse 4. He says, Methought I saw in my dream a dark and dreary wilderness. So, as we consider, is it a good or a Christ-like object, or is it a bad object that is thwarting our progress or getting in the way of us coming unto Christ? Some of you might read that verse 4 and say, well, the dark and dreary wilderness has to be bad because dark and dreary would keep us from coming to Christ. For me, there, again, everybody can interpret this however they like, but for me, I like putting the dark and dreary wilderness right in the middle of the two because it depends on how you interact with it. Sometimes a dark and dreary wilderness of going through a trial or a struggle or a long, drawn-out series of questions that you have that, that you're living in the dark, but you're having to move forward in faith anyway. Some of those dark and dreary wildernesses of my own life have been the most productive and the most fruitful periods of my life when I haven't been living on a mountain peak of revelation, but rather walking or rather slogging at times through the valley of the shadow of death trying to figure things out and to hold on with the fingernails of faith as, as I trust the Lord in that darkness, which is what I see going on here in Lehi's case because the very next thing that it mentions is verse 5, came to pass that I saw a man and he was dressed in a white robe. Now that man could represent many things for different people at different times in different situations. But for me, the overarching view of this man symbolically would be yet another example of a symbol pointing me to Jesus Christ. This idea that when I'm in a dark and dreary wilderness, Heavenly Father wants to make sure that those who have entered into a covenant with him are experiencing this special kind of love that President Nelson has talked about, chesed that we would have even a traveling companion. And in my mind, this man in the white robe is yet another symbol of Jesus Christ himself saying, I'll walk with you because you have to walk this path to get from point A to point Z, but I'm going to make sure you don't walk it alone. And then you get to the large and spacious field, and then you get to verse 10, the tree, the fruit, and it's desirable to make one happy. All of these things, the tree, the fruit, they're all symbols of Jesus Christ and different attributes of the kind of being that he is, showing us this perfect example of how we can live. And you'll notice as Lehi partakes of that fruit, his description in verse 12, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. He recognizes it for what it is. It's not just a fruit tree. 
it represents Jesus Christ, and when we partake of the fruits of Jesus Christ's infinite atonement, and in our life today, that can even happen very literally every Sunday when we partake of the sacrament. Is it filling us with exceedingly great joy, or are we just eating a piece of bread and drinking a cup of water? Are we missing the point because we're looking at the symbol rather than what the symbol represents, the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, in contrast to that, look at verse 13. As I cast my eyes round about that perhaps I might discover my family also, I beheld a river of water. And he doesn't recognize that this river of water is filthy water. It's Nephi's vision later on where he describes the, the filthiness of that water and how it represents the depths and the bitterness of sin and of hell. So, there's this river that would be in opposition to the path. Notice in verse 19 he describes a little more about that. I beheld a rod of iron, and it extended along the bank of the river and led to the tree by which I stood. Now, let's pause and think about what we know and what we don't know. Um, we know that the iron rod, this rod of iron, extends along the bank of the river, but you also know that those who are on the straight and narrow path, verse 20, I also beheld a straight and narrow path which came along by the rod of iron, even to the tree by which I stood. So what you have is you have this river of water, you have an iron rod that extends along the bank of the river, and then you have a path on the other side of this flowing river of water. So, you have something that represents the bitterness and the depths of hell right next to something that represents the straight and narrow, the, the straight and narrow path that represents our covenant path, our, our ability to connect with God and to return to, to heaven, to, to the presence of God, and to come unto Christ more fully, and they're side by side, and you've got the rod of iron on the bank of that river. Now, you can, you can have all kinds of fun individually or with a group of people or with your family exploring principles of the gospel in this vision, but one, one question I would just throw out for consideration would be, why would God have put his path and the rod of iron right next to even that rod of iron on the bank of this river that leads to the bitterness and the depths of hell? Why didn't he put it, if we've got such a large and spacious field, why not spread things out a little bit and, and make it a little easier for disciples of Jesus Christ on that covenant path to be able to move forward without the bitterness and the depths of hell being quite so close to us on our journey forward? And by asking that question, what I'm assuming is, is that you and I have never spent any time in the river, that you and I are, are perfect if that river represents sin. And the reality is, is I see it as a merciful, grace-filled act that God would put his rod of iron right on the bank of that river because God knew that you and I 
would spend more time than we really ought to in that river and that we would need help getting out of that river. And what's more, it's, it's much better than just a rod of iron if you look at what this symbol of that iron rod could represent. In John 14, verse 6, when he's speaking to his apostles at the Last Supper, Jesus tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I love when you, when you superimpose those three words into Lehi's dream, I am the way. That's a lot like the path. I am the truth. That's a lot like the iron rod, the Word of God, the truth that I can hold on to. It's firm, steadfast, immovable. And I am the life. I am the tree of life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is symbolically represented by the path, the rod, and the tree, all of it. So that if I'm in sin, I'm not reaching out for some cold, hard iron to grab onto. That's just a place-holding symbol. I'm actually reaching out for the almighty hand of the Son of God who's mighty to save and willing to forgive and to help me get back on the covenant path regardless of how deep in that sin I've become. He'll work with me. He'll help me. And in the rest of this chapter, you get all of these different groups of people engaging in various ways with this path and the rod. And then you get more opposition in verse 23. You get mists of darkness. You get in verse 26, a great and spacious building with a whole bunch of people pointing fingers of scorn in a spirit or an attitude of mocking. And I love how uh, Lehi tells us that we heeded them not. We didn't pay attention to the detractors, to the people who were mocking and pointing fingers of scorn at him. He simply moved forward in faith, focused on Christ, which is interesting. People generally adopt and adapt that which they surround themselves with the most. How much of our time is spent in social media listening to the voices of the world and the experts, quote-unquote, of the world versus listening to the words of the Lord through the scriptures and the living prophets. We shouldn't be surprised if we spend too much time focusing on the great and spacious building, however well-intentioned those people in the building may be, making fun of or trying to tell us how to live our life. It shouldn't shock us if over time we start adopting their philosophies, their attitudes, and even their behaviors. And um, it shouldn't surprise us that if we instead choose to fill our lives, our ears, our, our eyes, our hearts with divine sources, with our focus being more uh, centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, that over time we're going to move closer and closer to Jesus Christ and making better sense of our life through the, the lenses of his gospel and his uh, attributes and characteristics as they slowly become more a part of us. So you'll, you'll also see in here that you have forbidden paths, you have strange roads. 
So these mists of darkness, all these things that would seek to take our focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is an opposition in all things. That shouldn't surprise us. The test of mortality is how we respond to those oppositions as well as how we respond to that clarion call that the Savior gives us to come unto him. To finish the dream, I love the group in verse 30 because it tells us that they came forth, caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron. That covenant connection with Christ, it's a continual process. They're moving forward in faith. They're not driven by fear. They're not driven by other uh, selfish motivations. They're continually holding fast to that rod as they come forth. And then notice at the end it says, they came forth, they fell down, and they partook of the fruit of the tree. This would have to be a really low-hanging tree if it's just a fruit tree. But if the tree is simply a symbolic placeholder for the Lord Jesus Christ, then it would make a lot more sense that they would come forth, then fall down, and then partake of the fruit that he, as the tree of life, has to offer them. It's there at his feet that they will partake of the fruit of his love, of his mercy, and of his grace. Very similar to me sitting in a sacrament meeting or you sitting in a sacrament meeting and having the emblems of his infinite atonement come by. We can either once again see them as a simple piece of bread and a cup of water or symbolically with our focus fixed on Jesus Christ, look beyond the symbol of the bread and the water and actually see God's love shed forth to us in our life today. And to finish, let's jump over to the very, very last chapter, chapter 10, verse 17. Here's Nephi. He sat in that family home evening setting, if you will. He listened to Father Lehi share the elements of his dream. Something happened inside of Nephi. It wasn't enough for Nephi to just take his, his father's word for it. Let's see what we can learn from Nephi in verse 17. It came to pass that I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision and also the things which he spake by the power of the Holy Ghost, which power he received by faith on the Son of God, and the Son of God was the Messiah who should come. Now here's what he does. I, Nephi, was desirous that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in the times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men." That's my scripture study invitation to all of us, that we don't just take Lehi's word for it, that we sincerely seek the Lord's inspiration and guidance in our own life to help us see our place in these scripture stories, in these scripture symbols, to help us focus our lives on the Lord Jesus Christ as we move forward and seek to emulate those attributes that we find and feel through our, our deeper, more devoted scripture study, especially this year as we're studying the Book of Mormon.
In closing, I love the Lord with all my heart. Every time I open these scriptures, every single page, I'm looking for him and I'm looking for what he wants me to try to accomplish and learn and to become on every single page so that I don't um, just read my scriptures. I use scriptures as an opportunity to try to connect with Christ more fully. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Know that you're loved. In this week of Gospel Explorer, we gain deeper insights into coming to Christ and partaking of the fruit of the tree of life. Our path on the left side takes us into a deeper study of the family, a proclamation to the world. You can really dig into this topic with numerous videos and resources highlighting the words of our modern prophets on this important theme. The middle path takes you on a journey of studying the power that God gives to us to overcome adversity by holding fast to the rod of iron. You'll want to watch these videos to gain strength as you go through your trials and opposition, especially if you feel that you are alone in your desire to follow Christ. The last path will take you into a study of faith and actively following the Lord. One branch will focus on how revelation helps us in making faith-filled decisions, while the other branch focuses on developing the faith to act on that revelation. We hope that this resource continues to deepen your desire to come unto Christ and develop a closer relationship with Him.